HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's episode of The Farm Report is a pre-recorded episode from spring 2013. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. This is the Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are joined on the line by Justin Rashid of American Spoon. Justin, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. So I'm in particular excited to talk today because you are located uh, back in my home state of Michigan, actually mm-hmm. about an hour and a half from where I grew up. And um, what I would love to um, start folks out with was a, just a little bit of background on American Spoon Fruit for people who might not have heard of you yet. Okay. Well, um, we've been here for 31 years um, in Petoskey, Michigan, which is at the very top of the 300-mile-long uh, fruit belt uh, where the lake effect of Lake Michigan creates one of the some of the most uh, superb microclimates for fruit culture in the world, and and we've been preserving the the best fruits that we can find here uh, these years, uh, and uh, we uh, we sell I would say eighty five percent of what we produce direct to uh, to customers around the country. Nice. So you guys are making jams and, and preserves for folks. Fruit preserves, yes, jams, condiments, relishes, all kinds of things. So in jars, mostly we're we're kind of the the canner for a lot of our customers. Got it. So maybe you can take us through a little bit, you know, fruit production along that western coast of Michigan. Um, what what types of fruits are we going to be seeing in your jams? Well, of course, uh, as you know, Aaron, seventy five percent of the tart cherries grown in the country are grown in. Uh, Michigan and uh, most of them here in northern Michigan in the in the Traverse City area. Um, those are tart mountain rancy cherries. So certainly we make a lot of uh, cherry products, but uh, we also grow wonderful uh, 
pears. Um, we, we love the Bartlett pears that grow here. Um, and uh, apples, some of the great ap- old apple varieties like Northern Spies that have been grown here for, for a long, long time. Uh, Damson plums, um, Red Haven peaches, of course. Red ha- the Red Haven, as you know, is a proud... Uh, uh, is, a, is a peach that Michigan is proud of because it was uh, actually developed here, along with uh, all of the other family of Haven peaches back in the in the 1920s through the 1940s, uh, and that is considered by many to be, you know, the the ultimate peach in in the world, uh, the peachiest peach, I would say, um, and that's what we really try to do here is is find, you know, the strawberry that that is, in our opinion. The standard, the ultimate classic strawberry flavor and aroma, or the peach that has the the most ideal texture and and flavor and aroma, and and we become attached to those varieties uh, because of uh, their characteristics and uh, their their uh, kind of universal appeal. Well, so one of the things that you know you see jam jars. Um preserve jars on the shelves of, you know, any, any supermarket uh, from like a small scale artisanal production, like the preserves that you're making to kind of very large scale jam production that you'll find in, you know, any supermarket anywhere in the country. And one of the things I think, uh, I don't, I haven't in the past spent a ton of that time thinking about is where is that fruit coming from? And, mm-hmm. you know, you guys are sourcing primarily or exclusively from Michigan. I wouldn't say exclusively no, but yeah, the great bulk of what we do is is locally grown. And you know, the cherry production, as you said, seventy five percent of the cherry, the tart cherries produced in the U.S. are grown in that um, northwest region of the state. But there, there has been there was last year was kind of a crazy season. So maybe you can fill us oh, in wow. a little bit <laughs> on 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 what happened and talk a little bit about how that impacted you know the region and your business. Sure. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a disaster. Um, to put it bluntly, um, for the second time in in the past ten years, the the crop was pretty much wiped out. Uh, I would say there was about some people say two or three percent of a of a tart cherry crop, because of uh, you know some people would say climate change, but certainly there was a big climate change last year, and uh, we had eighty degree weather, uh, like ten days of eighty degree weather in March. And uh, so the the opposite of what we like to happen happened. The fruit blo- all the fruit trees blossomed way too early, and so we're hit by oh gosh more than a dozen uh, subsequent frosts that uh, just pretty much over time eliminated uh, most of what we grow. And uh, I think there were some apple farmers who did okay. Uh, but there were virtually no peaches, no cherries, and uh, no plums. Uh, there were some pears. It, it was a really crazy year. And so we're looking out the window now, and it's 36 degrees and overcast and miserable, and, and all the fruit growers are very happy <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we're right on schedule. It's a typical, uh, a very typical uh, northern Michigan spring and uh the sun is going to come out soon, but uh, it didn't come out too soon. 
Now, you have been, you know, making uh, the the American spoon fruit in that region for the, like you said, over 30 years now. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the, the variation that you've seen with regards to the fruit producers in that area? You know, a year like last year, has that happened a few times in over the course of the last three decades, or was this an anomaly? Well, the old-timers would say that that happens once every 50 years, and that's why everybody's a little bit freaked out that it happened twice in 10 years. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, fruit culture, you know, being a fruit grower, it's, it's, it's like a lot of agriculture, it's a lifestyle choice. It's not, you know, a typical career choice. And for the most part, because it takes so long, uh, because the sites where fruit grows well are, are pretty special, uh, most of these uh, farms are, you know, small family farms, 40 to 80 acres, that have been in the same family for generations. And, uh, you know, gosh, our relationships with our growers last a long, long they, they develop slowly and they last a long, long time, and they're very important to us, and we're very important to them. I think the big change I saw, uh, let's take, uh, you know, Gary Bardenhagen, who grows all of our early glow strawberries for us. Uh, and has on a centennial farm near uh, Sutton Bay, Michigan, beautiful place. And uh, for, for for most of those years, I heard about his son who was a uh, was in the computer programming business and had moved away uh, because you know there didn't seem to be a great future in farming. And uh, he came back. His son came back and has taken over the farm and and and, and operates uh, the Barton Hagen farm now. Uh, into another generation. So I, I've seen a lot of that, uh, or, or enough of that to be quite encouraging. Uh, and in addition to that, um, uh, we have more uh, vegetable farms, uh, and because of the resurgence of farm markets, we have a lot of people growing wonderful things for us that we never used to be able to get locally, like, you know, heirloom uh, tomatoes, brandywine tomatoes, um, Great uh, rhubarb, all kinds of things that, that that we couldn't get really close in the in the early days of our company. We can get them right here in Emmett County or or the or Charlevoix County, the neighboring county. So it sounds like you're feeling relatively optimistic about agriculture, in particular for you know fruit growers in your region. I'm absolutely thrilled and and and, and pretty much amazed uh, at what has happened in in recent years with. Uh, I guess it's your generation here, and I don't know how old you are, but um, uh, the number of people, because when Larry and I started this company, we were considered to be kind of odd. <laughs> you know, that that, that in, 19, uh, in the late 1970s, um, you know, when, when Wendell Berry published uh, The Unsettling of America, uh, it, it all seemed to be that agriculture in America was the past. And, and now it, it suddenly seems to have such a, uh, a resilient, uh, thriving future prospect. Uh, and, and because so many uh, really talented people are getting involved in, in uh, agriculture and small-scale food production um, locally uh, and building those communities, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, astounded and, and, and thrilled, and we have quite a community here from, as you know, Traverse City uh, has become kind of a foodie capital, and uh, that uh, the wine region of the Leelanau Peninsula, 
um, right right up on up through the counties uh, through Petoskey. We have all these great local growers now, and uh, yeah, it's amazing what you can find in, in the local markets. Now we've never defeated seasonality. That's still <laughs> seasonality is still the reality of, of of living in northern Michigan. So we do need the ability to uh, to preserve foods so that we can use them a little bit more of the year. I would say the typical fruit season here lasts about three weeks. Three weeks. Sure. When you know apricots are in season for about three weeks, right? Or you know plums. Three weeks. <laughs> so. Uh, you can see why, uh, in this climate, uh, being good at preserving fruit was pretty critical if you if you wanted uh, to enjoy it more of the year, especially something local. Yeah, well, and I think that also speaks to the, the kind of workflow for your operation. I mean, while things are coming in and out of season, is it basically, you know, all, all hands on deck? Oh, that's exactly what it's like. Um, in fact, we try to get enough inventory uh, produced uh, uh, so that we can shut down our kitchen uh, in terms of uh, manufacturing for the month of uh, August right through the middle of September so that we can peel and pit beaches, so that we can pit apricots, so that we can uh, you know, cut pears, so that we can peel uh, and preserve uh, tomatoes. Um, yeah, that's what we're doing for 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 August and and September, and even things like you know destemming wild elderberries and cleaning wild blackberries that come in the door. It's 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 a very intense but an exciting time, and uh, it's it's uh, there. We have a lot of people in the local community to come and help us in that time of year, and uh, you'd be surprised how enjoyable a lot of people find uh, standing at a. Uh, long table with a dozen other people for uh, 10 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely remind my mom was a big pickler preserver canner, so we, we definitely, me and my five brothers and sisters made qu- our own little assembly line in, in our house over on the eastern side of the state. Now, yep. I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about kind of this idea of, um, you know, terroir, um, and, and also branding. I mean, obviously, your guys, you know, because it's a preserved product, you can find mm-hmm. these northern Michigan fruits, um, you know, on shelves year-round across the country. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the intention. You know, you guys obviously have been an ambassador for the region um, and kind of telling that story through through the, the, the delicious spoon fruits. But are, are there other players that are kind of out there working to, to make a name for Northern Michigan to say, like, our fruit is different or special? And, and who would those folks be? Um, or, and maybe, like, how has that changed over time? That's a good question. Um, I think that there are, that, that what we see, what I see is an abundance of uh, growers who bring their own preserved fruits to market stands. So because, uh, you know, fruit preserving is a business that, uh, or an activity that there are relatively few barriers to entry, especially when, um, you know, like the Michigan Department of Agriculture is trying to make it possible for growers to preserve and sell their own, their own produce, be it pickles or, or that's the big thing I see is that, uh, rather than being a few larger producers, there are many, many small producers who actually sell direct to consumers. You know, the the Petoskey 
downtown farm market is on Friday, and maybe they're in the neighboring town of Charlevoix on Wednesday, or they're in Traverse City another day of the week. And so it creates uh, a, a pretty uh, steady outlet for for the things that they produce. Also, um, you see a lot of them actually opening their own retail. A lot of growers are opening their own retail stores, or retail outlets, right on the farm uh, or along the highway near their farms where they can sell both their fresh and preserved foods. So I think that's the biggest change that I've seen, rather than there that there are a lot of... Uh, you know, new competitors uh, for for what we do, um, but uh, yeah, um, it, it's something that uh, I mean. I guess the most the clearest local example would be Pond Hill Farm in Harbor Springs. Um, that's kind of created a destination for themselves, and and they also grow some things for us. But um, they've created a, a destination for a lot of people who want to go out to the farm and take the kids and and spend some time learning about agriculture. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that's a great point that the region and uh, has become an ambassador for itself, a big a big tourism community. I know there's a certain red-headed New York-based chef who spends a lot of time up there. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, so folks coming and having a great time and kind of taking that out. Well, we are going to take just a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the role of a preserve maker in the context of uh, fruit producers and the life of fruit. So hang tight. We'll be right back. You're listening to R&R by Peels on the Heritage Radio Network.org. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. We are back. We are on the line with Justin Rashid of American Spoon Fruit. So, Justin, one of the things that I, I think is so interesting about fruit producers is that you're you're looking for outlets for all different types of fruit. Um, you know, you have kind of your, I, th- I think for apples, I know I'm more familiar with the language, but you have your first, you know, your first pick, your second pick, uh and, and there's fruit of varying kind of quality, you know, you'll see changes in size over the course of the season. And, um, you know, obviously you guys are always looking to purchase the best uh, fruit to make the best jams. But where do you think that you fit in, you know, if folks who are looking to sell just, you know, fresh cherries versus dry cherries versus the preserves? Um, you know, there's all these different ways to... Um, to consume, you know, even juice or, or you know, wine, if you, oh, if right, you keep right. going. So, so as far as if I'm, a, if I'm a fruit producer in your region, you know, what am I looking to you guys for 
um, that may be different than um, kind of other outlets that I'm going to find for my for my fruits. Well, we're looking for the special things that that you know the, the kind of preserving we do is very labor intensive. It's it's very uh, time consuming. It it's 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 a more expensive process, and so we're looking for special things that are worth the effort, you know. It's kind of like if you were in your home kitchen and you were thinking, you know, what's worth spending my time preserving? You wouldn't want to pre- you wouldn't want to preserve just any old thing. You'd want to preserve the really special things. Um, and and that's what growers know to come to us for when they have something really really special, really unique. Uh they'll call us or when or when they want to develop a relationship that lasts for a long, long time to grow a specific variety that we're looking for. Um, and, uh, you know, that's probably, I would say, uh, more than a dozen growers who we have that kind of a, that kind of a relationship with. And then what we're trying to do is, um, Use all of the the hard earned knowledge of artisanal pre processing and processing that we've gained over the years to really retain and enhance the the, the aesthetic perception of those higher value characteristics in the final product to the consumer. I'll give you an example: um, the Red Haven peach it used to be the most popular peach in the world in the early 1960s. It has fallen out of favor because um, growers want uh, a whole different range of peaches that ripen at different times, and the canners want to use high-powered equipment, live peelers, steam peelers, so they want a bulletproof peach that they can just, you know, uh, peel industrially and then add a lot of sugar syrup or corn syrup or whatever, and you've got something that's orange and round, and you can call it a peach. But uh, why did they no longer peel the delicious Red Haven peach? Well, it's a melting flesh, freestone variety of peach. So it can't be subjected to that. And so you have to hand sort them to let them ripen evenly. And then you have to, you know, do what you did at home. You pour them in boiling water, then pour them in cold water, then hand peel them, hand pit them. But as a result of doing all that, you end up with, you know, the ultimate chunky peach preserve, these luscious, succulent chunks of beautiful, rosy, orange peach, um, along with the, that incredible classic aroma of peach. Um, it's a lot of work, and we can only do about a 1,000 bushels a year before we just... <laughs> we can't peel any more peaches. You know, we spend about two weeks, and then we're done. But um, that's what we're here to do. Those things that the big guys don't, won't do anymore. Um, and, uh, our, you know, people perceive, our, 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 the people who buy our preserves perceive that difference. And, uh, or, for example, you know, Bartlett pears that have to be ripened in our kitchen. Well, we have to cut them by hand. You know, you have to cut the, cut the stem off and cut the blossom end off, and then you've got to scoop out the seeds and, and uh, cut them into chunks and, you know, macerate them in sugar and do the things that we do. Uh, but then we have wonderful pears that we can use year-round, you know. Um, and, that, and, and, and that's why we exist, uh, to do those things that the big guys don't want to do. 
to you guys uh, essentially uh, rising up to fill that niche. Well, it sounds like a lot of work. Um, and um, ultimately, you know, ultimately to make a, a quite lovely product that I think is going to stand out from any jam that you could just pull off the shelf in, in a regular supermarket. Can you tell us a little bit about about your kitchen? I mean, now you guys cook the preserves in, in sure. cop- copper kettles. Is that right? Sure, yeah, they're, they're, you know, uh, copper, copper kettles on gas stoves. Um, each kettle, we've, we've got, uh, typically about seven kettles, uh, running at a time. Um, each kettle holds, it's a 28 gallon capacity, capacity kettle, but so that they don't overflow when something bubbles up, uh, we can make about 10 gallons of, of preserves in, in a kettle at a time, uh, maximum. And so what we've done over the years as we've grown is just rather than, you know, batch size, anybody who preserves fruit can tell you batch size is critical. You have to keep the batch size small. Um, so rather than, at, you know, having a 200-gallon kettle, we, we keep the 28-gallon kettles and, and just use more of them and turn them over, you know, uh, throughout the day. So, uh, and you know, copper, of course, conducts uh, heat, as you know, 18 times more efficiently than stainless steel. So we, we, we only switch to steel kettles when we're, you know, making pickles or making something that has, uh, you know, vinegar and salt and those things that, that, that don't allow us to use uh, copper because it's, it's reactive. But uh, so that, that's what we have. Uh, and then we have two cooks working the, those kettles, working that we call it our, you know, a, a, in a given run of kettles when we're, when we're turning over a batch. Um, and then we have a, you know, a little filling machine that, uh, you know, an, uh, where we can fill a couple jars at a time and um, a long cooling tunnel. You know, the, the trick with preserving, of course, is you're, you're trying to get the, the, the product and the, the jar and the headspace and the lid, everything to come together at sterilization temperatures uh, and then you're, you have the opposite problem. Once you get that all together and once that jar seals, you've got to get the heat out. So the whole uh, 5,000 square foot kitchen has a long uh, cooling tunnel where the jars uh, spend a half an hour in a shower of cool, cool water so that the heat gets out. Because, you know, the, what you're really trying to do with these delicate fruits and the color and the aroma of the fruit is, you know, use a minimum of sugar to preserve them. Uh, or, or sweetener, or, preser- or whatever the, the agent is, and then uh, you want to uh, get that heat out of there so that it doesn't continue to cook in the jar. And, uh, and when people open it, they'll get that incredible fresh aroma and that color and that flavor. Interesting. And can you talk a little bit about the the regulatory environment around um, preserve production? Do you mm-hmm. guys, I mean, who who kind of oversees what you're doing? And I'm curious if it's different for, you said, you know, you mentioned this kind of rise in in folks doing a, the preservation right on farm. So mm-hmm. does, that, it, does that fall under a different category than you would be dealing with, or is it the same? Yes, if, if their sales are below a certain level, uh, they, they, they come under a different regulatory, uh, you know, uh, agency. Um, and uh, But once they hit a certain volume, if they grow, that's when the Michigan Department of Agriculture takes over. Michigan Department of Agriculture Food Inspection Division takes over. And they come in and inspect you uh, one or two times a year. 
And then when you get as big as we are, you have the uh, the FDA. <laughs> you have the big guys come in, the Food and Drug Administration. And most of it is, you know, to certify that you are, uh, what we do is called acidified and high acid processing, which means that uh, we are uh, making products that have a pH of 4.5 or below. So that nothing we make is low acid, so nothing we make has a risk of, of botulism. But we, we have to make sure that we are achieving sterilization temperatures and holding, holding at that sterilization temperature uh, for a long enough time to accomplish what they call in the biz thermal death. <laughs> and then um, we have to be able to certify that we achieve the pH, a safe pH in those products. So we have our own little lab where we, you know, take a jar from each batch and, and uh, do all our testing and then document that testing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a process. Uh, there's a lot of technical food science involved in it that we've learned over the years. But uh, the great thing is that there are great teachers out there for people who want to do this themselves. You know, the Michigan Department of Agriculture has people who, who can help you learn this stuff. Um, the Agricultural Extension Service at Michigan State University can be helpful. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of technical learning to be done, but there's a lot of information out there that's available, and, and uh, people can, can, can learn it. I did. I, I, you know, I was an English major, so. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, English majors will someday rule the world. I, I'm hopeful, anyway. <laughs> um, well, Justin, thanks so much for joining us. I think if folks want to find out more or, or get a, a better sense of where you're located or find out where they can find your jams, they can definitely visit the website, www.spoon.com. But is there a time that you would recommend for visits or, or not recommend? Um, you know, is there a space where people can come and see you work or, you know, do you guys do internships or anything like that for folks who might want to get into the jam making business? Well, yes, we do from time to time, uh, bring people in and, uh, certainly I'd, I'd welcome people giving us a call or sending me an email if, if they're, if they're interested. But, uh, of course, the beautiful time to come to Northern Michigan and uh, for the fruit uh, to see what's happening in in, in uh, fruit culture is uh, is like uh, this year probably going to be the third week of May when when most of the trees are in are are, are blooming. But we have uh, little stores in the in the towns here in in Petoskey and Charlevoix and Traverse City and and Harbor Springs where people can come and see what we do and taste everything and and that's an, another way to get in touch with us. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, this has been another episode of The Farm Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. This, like all 30 of our live weekly shows, is available for free as a download through iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher Smart Radio or visit our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. You can peruse our archives and find out all you need to know about pretty much anything in food. Uh, If you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider clicking that Donate tab and becoming a member today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 
The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. This is Leah Eden. We are on the line today with uh, with Jean Hodish from uh, Grow NYC. Hello, how are you doing on this rainy, rainy day? We're all right. Thanks for having us. <laughs> of course. Well, we are still on our tour of the uh, of the green markets. There are so very many. Um, but Jean, what uh, what neighborhood green market are we going to go to this week? So this week we're going to head up to the heart of Midtown Manhattan our Rockefeller Center Green Market. Um, it's open for about five weeks every summer, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So it's open now through August 23rd. And it's a really terrific showcase of local products that let visitors from around the world know just what our region is made of. And then in between all those international flags and the skyscrapers, the lines to get into Top of the Rock, you'll find just as many employees who are on lunch breaks from their neighboring office buildings they're mingling with the tourists and everybody side by side, kind of checking out all of the wonderful produce, the apricots, the blackberries, fresh corn, maple syrup, chutney and jam, and all of them just considering what to take home. <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, if we were to go there, what, uh, what specific farmers or, or products can we find at that market? Sure. So um, our publicity team went up there for breakfast this morning, and uh, there's so many good options. So um, the market is set up in the middle of Rockefeller Plaza, and there are these kind of white picket fences around it. So you kind of go in, and the lineup of farmers is different each day. There are some farmers who are there all three days of the week, um, but the best thing to do is check our website to see who's there. But on Thursdays, there is Central Oven Bakery, Las Delicias Bakery also. There are a lot of baked goods. Uh, which is perfect for our breakfast expedition. So <laughs> Las Delicias has Argentinian baked goods. They have some gluten-free options. These really amazing little cakes called cannelle that are almost like they're very custardy. They're amazing. Um, mm. Nordic Breads is there with their famous Finnish Ruiz rounds, and they're also making a new rye-based granola. So if you think about kind of rolled oats, the rye version of that really hearty uh, breakfast food. And then also Good Ale Farms is there. They've got yogurt you can pick up and take with you, as well as um, ice cream. They have fresh cheese as well. And then Miglarelli Farm, Red Jacket Orchard, and the Orchards of Conklin are keeping the market full of cherries, apricots, blueberries, fabulous-looking mustard greens, lettuces, sweet corns, just piled high right now, summer squash, and then some really beautiful, dark, juicy heirlooms. Um, and because this market attracts a really big lunchtime crowd, as well as tourists who might want to purchase gifts to take home with them after their visit to New York, vendors really tend to cater to that, and they'll bring a lot of specialty kind of grab-and-go things. So like I mentioned, you know, yogurt, if you're on lunch, you want to pick up a yogurt, you can just take it back to your office and eat it or sit outside. Uh, there's also maple syrup and decorative bottles. Best Farm Kitchen is there all three days of the week. Um, they've got mustards and chutneys, lemon curd, sorts of special jams and jellies. Then there are also, there are different wine vendors there every day. So if you wanted to pick up a bottle of New York State wine and take that back to wherever you're visiting from to show off New York's terroir, that would be a great gift. 
Um, and then also because this is a really, like I said, there are lots of people who work in offices in the area who might come out on their lunch break but not necessarily have time to shop. We're offering something called the Green Market Breeze Box, Breeze Box which um, you can kind of come any day of the week, place an order, and pick it up the following Wednesday. So it's $25 for a curated box of market items. We'll put it together for you, and then you come and pick it up the next Wednesday. It's super easy if you don't have time to kind of, you know, shop around the market and pick stuff up on your own. So like I said, the best thing is to check out the market's website um, on growonyc.org, and you'll find a full list of all the vendors that are there every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, well, great. Well, for, so for, for all those tourists who may be out there or people who just have a, you know, a, a day to enjoy, what else would people do in that neighborhood? Yeah, well, there's so much. Uh, first of all, there's the shopping cannot be overlooked. So there's Bloomingdale's, <laughs> there's Bergdorf, Swarovski, if you want to pick up some crystals. Of course, um, of course. There's St. Patrick's Cathedral. And then I've never been up to the observation deck at Top of the Rock, but when I was there this morning, I was really considering I should probably make it up there and check out views of the city. And then also there's always the Today Show set up outside. You can check out an early morning outdoor concert. Um, and then there are newscasters all over the place. Keep your eyes peeled for Al Roker. He's usually around there somewhere. Um, you can also sign up to take a tour of the NBC studios. So plenty to do. Great. You can get your 15 minutes of fame in right there. Exactly. Um, well, Jean, so I know there's always something really exciting going on um, with the green market. What are some um, fun events that you guys have coming up? Sure. Well, next week, I'm happy to report, is National Farmers Market Week. So uh, the only thing you need to do to celebrate is go out and visit one of your farmer's markets. <laughs> we have them all over the city. And even if you're on vacation somewhere else in the country, it's great to always check out the farmer's market wherever you might be visiting. Uh, and then out at our Staten Island Mall Green Market on Saturday, August 10th at 11 a.m., there's the Ethnic Food Waste Project. They're going to be doing a cooking demo featuring uh, Mexican food cooked with local ingredients found at the market. And on August 17th, uh, the next Saturday, is National Can It Forward Day. Uh, so ball canning is going to join us at Union Square in our pavilion, and we'll be doing uh, pickling, jamming, preserving demonstrations. So you can come by and uh, pick out free recipes and, and get all sorts of tips on how to put up the harvest. And then another thing I wanted to mention was that it's August, and we are offering frequent shopper programs uh, at a lot of our markets. So you can always stop in at the Market Info Tent and find out all the details. But if you shop there often, definitely check it out, and you will be rewarded for your efforts for coming and checking in each week. Well, great, great. I know where I'll be next week for uh, for National Farmers Market Week. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you all visit grownyc.org backslash our markets to find out more information on cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, all sorts of fun happenings uh, each week at your, your local neighborhood green market. Um, well, thank you so much, Jean, for, uh, for being with us here today. Um, if people want a little bit more information on their farmers, the markets, or volunteer opportunities, make sure to check out their website, www.grownnyc.org. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at uh, Union Square Green Market and NYC Green Markets. Thank you so very much, and uh, go eat something delicious. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.